Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We are in day 17 and let's get growing, man. Your host is just Antoine and we're excited to be here with you and realizing that God has done exceptional things. We're on part two, um, had some te technical difficulties. And so we're just going to go ahead and record this <laughs> and put it out on our, uh, our Facebook page, um, as well as, uh, uh, our YouTube page. So if you haven't subscribed to Just Antoine on YouTube, you need to go and subscribe, amen, and be a part of what God is doing in my life. And I just want to inspire you so that you know that he'll do the same or even more in your life. Praise God. And so uh, let us see, can we go ahead and queue up the video for us and get it going, man. We've gone deep into the chest of every man to help us all understand the deep roots of our behavior and how to go to war at a soul level with an enemy that's within us, all of us. We've explored the concept of deep idols and given you a biblical battle plan. Of I'm going to start over here. Calvary. What do the deep idols... Well, guys, in our last session, we took a hard look at a pandemic issue, lust and pornography. It's a struggle for every man in every season of his life. We want to continue to press into our deep idols with a continued focus on practicality. What do the deep idols of control, comfort, and significance look like when they surface in our lives? We're going to continue to answer that important question. In this session, we're going to look specifically at the deep idol of control and many of its manifestations. It needs to be noted that one of the complexities of the control idol is that it's a more socially acceptable idol than, say, the issues of lust and pornography. Some may be prone to think that control, fear, or anger are less of a big deal to God than others or less harmful to ourselves than some of the other less socially acceptable idols. Some even make a virtue out of control and celebrate it as great leadership. Don't get caught in that lie. Control and a desire to be your own God is a dark, dark idol that creates ugly traps. Let's dive in and you'll see how pervasive this control idol really is. Well, guys, throughout this entire volume, we've been building a framework for us as men to see the real reasons why we often do the things we don't want to do and why we don't pursue the bigger and better things in life. We've not settled for easy answers, mere behavior modification or white-knuckling things and sin management. We've gone deep into the chest of every man to help us all understand the deep roots of our behavior and how to go to war at a soul level with an enemy that's within us, all of us. We've explored the concept of deep idols and given you a biblical battle plan to fight your idols by admitting the struggle, identifying the lies, and replacing them with the truth, God's truth. 
We've been honest about our propensity to play in the mud instead of turning to the pathways that God has laid out for us. We now have a new language, a new framework to understand the deep idols of control, significance, and comfort that drive us to all sorts of destructive behaviors, surface idols, and manhood traps. We must replace those pursuits with more fulfilling, godly pursuits, reminding ourselves and each other as teammates that the lies offered to us by our idols are not truth. Idols always overpromise and underdeliver, while the truth and the grace offered by God always satisfies the soul. In the past session, we took a hard look at the specific traps of lust, pornography, and sexual sin because like an airborne virus that has turned into a pandemic, lust and pornography is a threat to every man at all times throughout his entire life. In our final two sessions, we're going to continue the practical application of our biblical battle plan to real-life issues we all face as men by looking closely at some particular surface idols, traps, and behaviors that are motivated by or connected with our three deep idols. In this session, we'll focus on the deep idol of control. Then, in the last session, we'll be looking at the deep idols of significance and comfort. You and I may have more of a propensity to some of these than others, but they're a threat to all of us. In session one, we discussed how the idol of control tells us the fundamental lie that if I can just maintain influence or mastery over this situation, people in my life, my performance, my schedule, my income, or whatever, then I'll be okay, content, dominant, strong, and safe. Now, there are natural traps that arise or fruits of behavior that develop out of that lie and the root idol of control. One of the main ones is the jagged edge of fear. Fear is a big issue because it can trigger and is organically linked to other traps like workaholism and anger. Let's say that again so we can understand it and watch it unfold. Our lust for control can make us men of fear. And that fear affects us and metastasizes into traps like workaholism and anger. Let's unpack fear and each of those related traps. Fear. It is amazing how many things we can fear and be anxious about. As author Ed Welch says in his book, Running Scared, it's like we've all become fear specialists. Listen to the list of potential things that you can fear that we've adapted from his book. Fears for your safety and the safety of those you love. Fears about how you'll die, disease, cancer, being alone, broke, drowning in a plane crash. Fears about what happens after death, being forgotten, judged, extinct. Fears about living a meaningless life. Fears about being unloved or alone. Fears about being in love and then hurt or abandoned. Fears about what you might lose, a friend, your girlfriend, your hair, your youth, your mind, your money, your job, your spouse, your health, your purpose, or even fearing a loss of faith. Man, that list nails me. It reveals my longing for control. One of the things I think together we're going to have to struggle with is that fear tends to keep running away from us, runs into anger a lot of times. We as men, I don't think, do real well in, in sometimes identifying the things that are really going on with us. So that's, I, I anticipate, that's going to be one of the blessings that this series is for, for all of us. We can sometimes identify anger, but it's a whole lot harder to identify fear. One of the benefits of being able to identify the things going on in our hearts is if we do not identify them, we never find them in Scripture. If we do not find the fears that we have in our lives, 
And we can find scripture speaking about fears everywhere, but it's irrelevant to us. So with that in mind, here are just some of the assorted fears that hover around this need for control. Fear of, of money, okay? being controlled by money. Matthew chapter 6 talks about that. Money as our God, money as our fear, money is the thing that controls us. Second fear would be the fear of other people. And for me, I would identify that especially as, as I need love from other people. I need, especially from my wife, of course, I need respect from other people. As soon as I say that, it means that, that love and respect are my gods. They're not bad things in themselves, but they grow from once to things that move to these idolatrous proportions. The third one, which tends to be a little bit quieter, is fears of death and all things surrounding death. And that is the granddaddy of all fears. Obviously, everything we're talking about has to do with what's the way out of this. And to find the way out, we have to find words for what actually is going on. So we're trying to identify fears and how fear can go in partnership with anger. Anger is another way of saying, I am afraid my world is out of control and I'm desperately trying to keep it in control to be able to speak those things to our God who is in control. And then, of course, to be able to confess. I, I find that confession, when we know there's forgiveness of sins, is just, it's liberating, and it also clarifies my vision. I can see things a whole lot more clearly after confession. What you're hearing in this series is sort of the panorama that goes from actually diagnosing the problem to these wonderful vistas that are in front of us that, that God offers us. They're just plain beautiful. And sometimes it just seems like too much. If we hear these great things, we're all enthusiastic about them. And then and tomorrow we wake up and we find the same old problems to simply speak to the Lord. That seems like a small first step, but that's, that's the prominent feature of life in the kingdom of heaven. I would say that there have been a, a couple turning points that scripture has done in my own life in wrestling with my own fears. But the turning point came when I realized, I think it was probably Luke chapter 12, where here's the passage, don't be anxious about anything. Okay, I'm anxious and I had to stop being anxious. Then it concludes with this, little flock, little flock, don't be afraid, for your Father in heaven is pleased to give you the very kingdom itself. And something changed there. It, it went from a command to, the things I might say to my children when they leave. Be careful out there. Be careful. But what am I saying? I'm not saying, be careful. If you're not careful, I'm going to be really, really angry. It's, I love you. I love you. Let me encourage you to be careful. You see, fear and the deep idol of control are undeniably linked. And fear and anxiety surface when you might lose influence over something you want, when your control is threatened, or when uncertainty about someone or something dominates you. Can you even feel that as I talk about it? That we can have a deep idol of control to the point that it can overwhelm us with fear. Here's another interesting thing about fear. Our bodies reveal us. Even when we claim that we're not afraid, our bodies will give us away through the physical signs of stress. An increased heart rate, insomnia, panic attacks, high blood pressure, shortness of breath. Our bodies showcase our anxiety. I can tell you this out of my own personal experience. Watch this glimpse into my own life where control and fear and stress almost took me out. And I felt like there was a really a season I entered into about a year after moving to Memphis. I um, 
uh, caught myself not sleeping well at night. I'd wake up in the middle of the night with a lot of pressure and a lot of stress. Sometimes my heart rate would be elevated. Sometimes my uh, I'd be sweating. I uh, couldn't sleep. I had a, a lot of anxiety, a lot of worry, a lot of fear. Uh, some of it rooted in maybe some decisions that were in front of me. Some of it was just random. I mean, it was just completely irrational fear. I'd start fearing I had cancer and I hadn't even been to the doctor, didn't, didn't feel a lump or something crazy. And so um, th th physically, I started having some manifestations of um, uh, just stress and anxiety and worry that uh, that showed themselves during that season. And uh, there was a moment particularly, uh, I'll never forget it, I was actually driving to a golf course. It was a beautiful spring Memphis day, which that's the best season to be in Memphis is in the spring around April. And so I kind of had a great free afternoon going to a golf course, going to play golf. And <clears throat> I, I, I was driving and my heart just started racing and I felt my right arm going numb and I remember getting real dizzy and uh, uh, I was just like and I, I remember for a moment going as soon as I say take me to the emergency room I just knew these dominoes they're gonna call my wife they're gonna call my parents everybody's gonna get upset worried and I might really have a problem and but uh, so there was about a minute where I was like I'm not saying it and then I remember saying it take hey guys I gotta go to the emergency I think I'm having a heart attack and sure enough they take me to an emergency room and um check me out, check me for all those signs, uh, uh, put me on the EKG, run an EKG and uh, get to the end of that. My wife comes down um, and basically they said, nothing's wrong with you physically. Uh, we believe you had an anxiety panic attack. It often mirrors a heart attack, but uh, um, we believe that's exactly what happened. And so you need to deal with some stress and anxiety and worry. So it scared me to death deep relief that it wasn't um, a heart attack, but also deeply troubling that boy, uh, worry and stress and anxiety had pushed me to that brink where uh, physically my body just shut down, felt like it was going to explode. That season specifically was a very dark season. I, I wouldn't have even had the language to realize kind of how withdrawn I'd become, uh, how I'd not processed that with my wife or even with my teammates or with uh, men on my board. Um, part of the darkness I got into was the fact that I was just all up in my head and everything was internalized. And so I, I wouldn't, uh, if you looked at me any day, I was, I felt like I was just trying to survive the day. My coworkers, peers, my wife would have said, he's being a little quiet, but he, he's making it. They wouldn't have seen what was going on inside of me. So part of what made those dark days as dark as they were, and even the panic attack itself, um, which again is just a microcosm of probably a six or eight month period of my life was um, uh, the fact that I was just, it was just me. I turned everything internal and uh, thought it was a show of strength to not show any fear and to be fearless for my wife, fearless for my coworkers, fearless for my board, fearless in front of those supporting us financially and in other ways. Uh, but in, in actuality, it was just ridiculous. I mean, I was blowing up and destroying myself and, um, uh, it would have been it would have been incredibly helpful for those who loved me the most to have known what was going on in my journey. Uh, and yet, uh, I just kind of had a manhole cover over all that and was just real, uh, again, in my head, withdrawn, and wasn't processing that with anybody. We've talked uh, in this session about, for me, the idol of control. The truth is, I've got hundreds of idols I can turn to. I think. Uh, what Martin Luther and John Calvin both said were true, that our hearts are like idol factories. They're constantly creating pseudo-saviors, constantly creating um, things to worship other than God. And so 
uh, in my attempt to go to war with my deep idols and specifically my deep idol of control. Um, it's been um, uh, me being willing to admit that, uh, uh, just putting a name to it, putting a voice to it, being able to say, man, I'm a control freak. And I like to be able to control my environment. I like to be able to control relationships. I like to be able to control vacations. I like to be able to control meals. I like extra guacamole. I like uh, unsweet iced tea. I mean, there's so many things I just love to control. And so uh, just admitting that, calling that out, uh, recognizing uh, it for what it is, um, repenting of that, uh, of saying I'm sorry, saying I'm sorry to God, uh, um, uh, recognizing regularly i'm not the god of my life he is um and and really choosing instead of control choosing faith uh that god is real that god loves me that god has a plan for my life that god's intimately involved in every detail of my life that right now as i'm sitting here talking he's at work in ten thousand ways for his glory and my good whether i see those or don't see those ten thousand unseen ways he's at work uh, in and around my life for his glory and my good and trusting in that. So for me to truly go to war uh, with the control idol, I have to choose faith uh, and um, turn to God as God uh, of my life, not me as the God of my life. And again, that's not a one-time deal. It happened when I was 33 or 34. It's not a occasional thing I have to return to a couple times a year. It is an ongoing war. Uh, and I think that's a part of contending. I think that's a part of contending as a broken man in a broken world. And that's why in this volume we call authentic men, repenting men, because we're constantly repenting of our, um, uh, the ease in which we can trust things other than God. Guys, it's so easy to let a deep need for control manifest itself into the jagged edge of fear. Now, let's take a closer look at some of the sibling traps of fear that can also develop out of our longing for control. Let's start with workaholism, another potentially fear-induced trap. You see, work can easily become a surface idol in a man's life, consuming his schedule and thoughts to the point where a man can become completely defined by his work. Even when he's away from work, he's not really away. He's always thinking about the next sale, the next email, the next deadline. This busyness and drive are often rooted in fear and sprouting from this idol of control. Having work under control gives us the illusion and mirage of security. It makes us think our future is protected and our income stream predictable. Nothing can elicit terror and shock out of a man quicker than the thought or threat of losing his job or bank account where he can't forecast his future accurately. And we'll do anything to protect the source of our perceived security. We'll take less vacation, less downtime, get less sleep, stay electronically connected nearly 24 hours a day. One recent study indicated that Americans in particular earn fewer vacation days than people in most countries, but still leave two days unused on average. Another study showed that eight out of 10 adults continue working after they've left the office. 40% still do work and email after 10 p.m. We're always on, we're never at rest. Why? Why do we make those sacrifices? Part of the reason is because we're afraid of what will happen if we're not connected, present, available for all our jobs, if we're out of the loop on what's happening. We believe the lie that we always have to be at the helm. And the need for control drives fear, and fear drives workaholism. We're so afraid of not having control that we can't take a break. And instead of turning to the God of rest, will often turn to medication to sedate our fears and to keep ourselves going. The statistics bear this out. 
20% of American adults took at least one drug for anxiety or depression over the last year. And if you're an adult between the ages of 20 to 59 and you're taking a prescription medication of any kind, it's most likely to be an antidepressant. I may be stating the obvious, but I hope you're beginning to see the all-encompassing, almost ever-present reality and effects of fear. The height, width, depth, and weight of fear is incredible. Fear is rampant. Finally, fear can lead to anger. Look closely underneath your anger, and you'll oftentimes find fear, especially for us men. Here's how it often works. We put up a tough exterior and no weakness facade because as men, we aren't allowed to be afraid. But more importantly, most men don't have any capacity or the language to express fear or the place or teammates to process their fears with. So anger becomes the easier outlet. We turn fear into anger and internally boil and externally rage on others. Have you ever experienced that? For many of us, this is a struggle. But for some of us, this defines our life. Fear can make us an angry person with a short fuse and an explosive toxic tongue. If that's you, we wouldn't have to look far or wide in your recent history to find the carnage, the broken relationships, the collateral damage inflicted by your blow-ups. An angry man will soon be a lonely man, and he's a dangerous man. The anger-laced words of men have left detrimental scars on the souls of other men, women, and children everywhere. The Bible compels us in the book of James to tame and bridle our tongue. The way to do that is to understand what's fueling our anger to begin with, and you now know what that is. Look behind anger, you're going to find fear. Look behind fear, and you're going to find control. Your desire to be God and in control of your life and relationships, that's the deep idol of control. The way forward is not simply to learn to count to ten before speaking or some other tip or band-aid. To find freedom, we need to do surgery. In sessions three, we gave you the battle plan that will help you do surgery. And we'll look at applying that to idols of control in just a minute. Before that, let's look at one more control-related manhood trap. And that is the power trap. The power trap is another surface issue that can emerge from the deep idol of control. Let's look at it briefly. It's when a man gets an inordinate amount of delight and gratification out of imposing his will and influence on others. Many control-induced traps are motivated by fear, but the power trap is motivated by a desire to dominate. It could be dominance over employees or friends or a wife or even your kids. It can reveal itself in a business meeting or in a pulpit or in the bedroom. It's when you want other people to submit to you, experience you as a man of consequence and fear you. A power trap pushed to the extreme produces a person who delights in the pain of others. So once we've recognized that we have one of these idols of control and identified the lies that we've bought into, what can we replace them with? What truths can we use against these traps and the idol lies of control? Remember how we've learned to fight this battle. We run to God and His truth with all our heart, and we store His truth in our mind so that our minds become renewed. And remember what we learned in session three. Scripture promises that life change begins with the renewal of our minds. We pursue the bigger and better pathway in life that will fulfill our soul. And Scripture provides at least two better pathways, two truths that can replace the two main traps of control that we've looked at today, fear and power. It points us to trust, 
to replace fear and stewardship to replace power. Let's start with discussing how we can replace fear. Guys, fear is a red light on the dashboard of our lives. When it pops on, and it will, we've got a decision to make. You see, fear is not always a sin, but it's always an opportunity to sin. It always becomes a fork in your road that creates an opportunity or leads you to a trap. In this fork, we can either turn to or run to ourselves, or turn to and run to God. If you run to puny little you, or I run to puny little me, like a self-sufficient narcissist, you're going to come face to face with your inabilities and limits. Worry, anxiety, and fear will dominate you. And they should. Total self-reliance should lead you to panic. That's the proper response because you and I are not God. We don't have sufficient knowledge or skill to handle and control all of life by ourselves. Or, in that moment, we can replace fear with trust. We can follow the advice of our model for manhood, Jesus. In John 14:1. he told His disciples in their greatest moment of fear and uncertainty, here's what He said to them. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in Me. So like a son, we can turn to our all-powerful daddy who does control the winds, the waves, and the future, who controls all things, who's all-powerful and all-good, who promises to either clear the storm or to sustain us through it. Here are some other truths that will help us fight the battle against the fear side of control. Let's look at the most often stated command in the Bible. It's what biblical scholar N.T. Wright calls the surprising command. Listen to him describe it. Do you know what the most frequent command in the Bible turns out to be? What instruction, what order is given again and again by God, by angels, by Jesus, by prophets, and by the apostles? What do you think? Be good? Be holy, for I am holy? Or negatively, don't sin, don't be immoral? No! The most frequent command in the Bible is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Don't be afraid. You see, God knew and knows fear will be an issue for all of us in every season of life through all generations. He empathizes with us and points us away from fear and toward trust. For example, in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, we're told to trust in the Lord with all our heart, not lean on our own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He'll make straight your path. Or listen to Jesus' word in Matthew 6. He says, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on, for your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Trust is the firm belief in the reliability, ability, or strength of something or someone else. And the Bible tells us over and over to trust God, not ourselves, with the details of our lives. God can handle our fears. The Apostle Peter said to us, cast your cares on the Lord. Literally, hurl your anxieties onto God. That's great advice and a great practice. It's the idea of us taking our fears to God and talking to God about our fears. Of course, turning to God does not mean we downplay or ignore danger, pain, or suffering. But it does mean choosing trust over anxiety and worry. And God didn't promise to provide an immediate solution to our fears. But He does promise something else. In Philippians 4, 5-7, Paul tells us this. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Now here God simply tells us to not be anxious and instead to pray, present our request to God, and that if we do that, He promises us peace. A peace that's not reasonable or understandable. A powerful, present peace. Him with us. Guys, just like we've learned in dealing with all our idols, we got to learn to be open and honest and tell the truth to ourselves and others about the brokenness in our lives. we got to tell the truth about what we're afraid of. We're all in this together. Don't act like you're not in this with us, all right? We're going to take off the mask. Fear should move us not to anxiety, but to trust. We should be quick to admit we can't control our lives because we can't. And therefore, we're vulnerable at all times in every situation and seek to be authentic men that walk with God and trust Him. Now, what if you struggle with the power side of control? What if your tendency is to be a dictator and to dominate? One antidote for power is the biblical concept of stewardship. The Bible tells us that people and possessions aren't given to us to control or dominate. Rather, they are entrusted to us. God entrusts into our care people, talents, time, and money. These are not things to reign over, but to care for and cultivate. Listen to how Pastor Ken Boa describes the concept of stewardship. Biblical stewardship touches every area of our lives. It requires a basic commitment to present ourselves completely to God as His servants with no strings attached. The ultimate question then is this, am I the Lord of my life or is Christ the Lord of my life? This is the great difference between the great I will and the great thy will. A wise steward will treat things according to their true value, treasure the things that God declares to be important, and hold with a loose grip the things that God says will not matter in the end. You see, authentic men who understand the truth of stewardship do not delight in ruling over others with some kind of heavy hand. They understand and embrace the reality that God has blessed them with a leadership opportunity and are motivated to steward that leadership in a positive way and life-giving way that brings the best out of others. They don't see it as an opportunity to lord their power over others. Authentic men do not focus on forcing others to submit. They focus on submitting themselves to God. They treat things according to their true value, and they treat people as those made in the image of God. Hopefully this session has helped us identify some of the idols of control that emerge from our souls and then offered some helpful insights on applying our battle plan that will enable us to kill those idols and replace them with life-giving truth. The idol of control and our desire to be God runs deep in all of us. Let's don't act like it doesn't. In the next and final session of this volume of 33, we'll look at the other two deep idols, comfort and significance, and identify some different ways that they can raise their ugly head in our lives and metastasize into traps, and how we can either let them take us down or we can replace them with God's truth and grace. You know, I grew up in a household. My father was a a Buffalo soldier, World War II, Korean War vet, uh, who tried to control everything in light of his post-traumatic distress. Then, you know, marrying a woman with a lot of health issues, what it created in me is a need to 
control the unpredictable. That really is what escalated my desire to have a disposition of control in my life. And coming to that realization was extremely freeing, if you will. At first, it was kind of like, okay, God, if I, you know, if I put Isaac on, if I act like I'm going to kill Isaac, will you do like you did Abraham and, you know, <laughs> stop me or are you going to let me go through with it? You know, and so um, through the process of God's grace, just began to say, you know what, I got to, I got to let go. And when I let go, I find myself in him, the real Eric. I didn't realize that I was missing out on such a freeing journey to walk with God because he's in control of everything. My false view of control doesn't remove his control, but it postpones my submission to his control. You know, as a man who consistently struggles with control in areas, everything from my sons, just struggling with control on the, on the home front, um, struggling with control in the local church when you see um, things that you want done and you want them done in a particular way, you want them done quickly. And just instead of delegating and trusting God and God's grace on people to do certain things, just always jumping in on that. And so I think in struggling with control, you know, we as men have to begin to believe God again, that God is able to work through things better than we're able to work through things. I had to be driven to hope. Uh, and what I mean by that is I started, you know, having anxiety attacks. My body and my soul was saying to me, fam, you're not in control, dog. Like, and look what it's doing to you. Only God can control everything without having anxiety. That's why we trust in him, because he has a greater bandwidth for control than we do. And because he has a greater bandwidth of control than we do, that's why we throw ourselves on his mercy. That's why it says, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Uh, wow, JB, that was outstanding. Just great information. But more importantly, thank you just for being vulnerable and transparent about uh, your struggle with the idol of control. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. There sure is a lot circling around this idol of control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In my life, as I begin to listen to this lesson, for me, control was about being a perfectionist. Uh, it was about the fact that I had, I put pressure on myself, uh, pressure on my staff, pressure on my kids and my wife to be perfect. And that's what I've struggled with. And what I didn't begin to what I begin to realize is that I had so much more confidence in myself than I did in God. And so I begin to realize I'm a, I'm a manager, I'm a steward and I'm reporting to him. He, I'm just delighted that he's using me. It, it may never be perfect, but I have to find peace in the fact that God is pleased. Yeah. You know, for me, I think uh, early in my uh, walk with Christ, I depended too much on my intelligence, too much on my talent. And I didn't think I needed anybody else. I mean, I was in control and I could get it done. And so I missed a lot of opportunities then to really lean on others. But I, I began to realize later in life, as I would look at the truth of God's word, that uh, that it was God's plan for us to you know, pass this on to faithful men. Uh, that was part of mentoring others and discipling others. And, and now in this season of my life, I get this really great joy just watching others succeed and kind of setting them up for success. You know, one of the things that really uh, has hit me is this. I'm, I haven't fully unpacked this control idol, but it could be one of the things that caused me to even delay marriage, even delay fatherhood uh, until much later in life. Control is one of those seductive idols. It's an issue in our life, and it's an issue in every man's life. 
Authentic manhood, following Jesus, is a life of truth, passion, and purpose. We care more about what people think than what God thinks. And until you genuinely believe that He's the more satisfying fulfillment, you're always having to try and hold yourself back from things you think are going to bring you happiness. Everything that I thought was what I needed was purely a lie. Left to myself, I'm going to go to comfort. To worship idols and fall for the traps they produce is to ignore the living waters God offers. Well, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Wow, control, control. We we must not allow control to take and dominate our lives. And we must deal with it with, <clears throat> excuse me, like they said, trust. We have to trust that the Lord is good. We have to trust that he's doing what is necessary to uh, allow us to be the best that we can be. Um, so we, we thank God for all that he does and all that he is in our lives. Um, we're going to continue to go forward with this, man. I'm excited that you are in this journey with me. Continue. If you haven't liked my uh, YouTube page, get on my YouTube page, just Antoine, uh, um, our Facebook page, let's get growing. Uh, just tap in, like it, share it because men need to hear this. This is Jess Antoine. You be blessed. I'll see you at the top. Bye for now.